بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we spoke about Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu sending a number of different armies to different parts of the Arabian Peninsula to fight the apostates, to fight the Murtaddin, the people who left Islam after the passing away of the Prophet And we mentioned that the Prophet, that Abu Bakr sent 11 different armies. And last week we spoke in detail about the army that was led by Khalid ibn al-Walid to face Tulayha ibn Khuwaylid al-Usdi from the tribe of Bani Asad. And this was a man, Tulayha, who claimed to be a prophet. So Abu Bakr sent Khalid ibn al-Walid and a contingent of the army to go and fight Tulayha. And Alhamdulillah, Khalid was victorious. And we spoke about how a number of different tribes had aligned themselves with Tulayha. But when Tulayha was defeated, those tribes, eventually they came back to Islam. Like the tribe of Bani Sulaym and the tribe of Ghatafan, Alhamdulillah, they came back to Al-Islam. Now today we want to talk about the tribe of Banu Tamim. And this was a huge tribe, very big tribe, and a very powerful tribe. And they had accepted Islam during the time of the Prophet Wasallam. And because it was such a big tribe, the Prophet ﷺ had actually divided that tribe into six sections. And he appointed a leader for each one of those six sections. So there were six sections of Banu Tamim, and each section had a leader who was appointed to be in charge. And those six leaders for the, diff the six different sections of the tribe of Banu Tamim were Az-Zuburqan ibn Badr, he was one of them. Qais ibn Asim, Safwan ibn Safwan, Subrah ibn Amr, Waki ibn Malik, and Malik ibn Nuwayra. So these were six leaders of Banu Tamim who were each in charge of their own section of the tribe. Now after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, two of these leaders remained upon Islam. Two of these leaders and their sections of the tribe remained upon Islam. Az-Zuburqan ibn Badr and his group remained upon Islam. And also Safwan ibn Safwan, his group remained upon Islam. As for Qais ibn Asim and his group, they apostated from Islam. And they said they're not going to pay zakat. Also the group of Malik ibn Nuwayra, they said the same thing. They said we're not going to pay zakat. And... By this, they apostated from Islam. So now you see here within the tribe of Banu Tamim, some of them stayed Muslims and some of them apostated from Islam. So now there is internal strife within the tribe. So there was a civil war in the tribe of Banu Tamim. The Muslims under Az-Zuburqan ibn Badr and Safwan ibn Safwan, they fought against the apostates of their own tribe. So this was a, a very chaotic situation here. Within one tribe, there is fighting going on now, internal strife going on. 
Now, while this was happening with this huge tribe of Banu Tamim, it's not just some small tribe, it's a big tribe. And the civil war is going on with Banu Tamim. Around the same time, there was a woman in the northeastern part of the Arabian Peninsula. She was from the tribe of Bani Taghlub. A woman named Sujah. Sujah bint Al-Harith. And she had gathered people from her tribe. And she also gathered people from the Awbash Al-Arab. The Awbash Al-Arab were people who did not attach themselves to any particular tribe. So they were basically stray people. People who would rob others, who would cut off the travelers on the, on the pathways and steal from them. So they were just random stray people who did not have any type of affiliation to any tribe and they were basically criminals. So she gathered them as well. She gathered them and she unified them and she gathered an army from her own tribe and she claimed to be a prophet. This woman, Sujah bint al-Harith, she claimed that she was a Nabiyah, that she was a prophet. And she got quite a following from her people. And she was able to form this army. Now her plan was to go directly to Medina. She didn't want to go to different parts of the Arabian Peninsula and take power in different parts of the Arabian Peninsula. No, she was not interested in that. She wanted to go straight to the center. And she wanted to go to Medina and she wanted to conquer Medina. So she gathered her army and she, she started heading towards Medina. So can you see here now? This is a very chaotic scene in the Arabian Peninsula. Fighting going on all over the place internal strife within tribes all sorts of things going on in the Arabian Peninsula now and Abu Bakr an, he has to manage all of this he has to take care of this whole situation so it's a chaotic scene in the Arabian Peninsula now at the same time also while all of this is happening in Yamama Musaylima Al-Kazzab he has by this time gathered a big following and the tribe of Banu Hanifa in Yamama, they supported and they followed Musaylima al-Kadhab, who also claimed to be a prophet, who also falsely claimed to be a prophet of Allah. So look at this. How many false prophets are coming up now? You had Tulayha, you have this woman Sujah bint al-Harith, you have Musaylima al-Kadhab. So a bunch of false prophets claiming to be prophets falsely. This is what Abu Bakr as-Siddiq had to deal with. Alright, now the tribe of Banu Hanifa, which was the tribe that Musaylima was from, they had a conflict with another tribe called Banu Amir. So Banu Amir, they wanted to attack Banu Hanifa. So look at this. Banu Amir wants to fight Banu Hanifa. Sujah bint al-Harith from Banu Taghlab, she wants to go and attack Medina. Banu Tamim, this huge tribe, they're having a civil war internally. Look at the Arabian Peninsula. What has happened to the Arabian Peninsula? Now it has returned basically to how it was in the times of Jahiliyyah. In the times of Jahiliyyah, the Arab tribes of the Arabian Peninsula, they're always fighting each other. That is how many of the tribes actually maintained their livelihood by attacking other tribes and taking the spoils of war. 
That is basically how they lived and how they existed. That was the main source of the economy of many of these tribes. Go and fight other tribes and take the spoils of war. That's how it was before Islam. Then the Prophet ﷺ came and most of the tribes of the Arabian Peninsula, Arabian Peninsula had accepted Islam, alhamdulillah, and they all became united. But now after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, what has happened? See, all of these tribes again, they reverted back to how they were in Jahiliyyah. And they're ready to fight each other. But alhamdulillah, within the tribes, there were some people who remained upon Islam. But for the most part, these tribes, they reverted back to how they were in the times of Jahiliyyah, fighting each other. Islam united them, but now, after they apostated and they left Islam, they became divided again. Alright, so this false prophet, the woman, Sujah bint al-Harith, she wanted to go directly to Medina. And at that time, the civil war was going on within the tribe of Banu Tamim. So Sujah, she is in the northeastern part of the Arabian Peninsula. And to go to Medina, she has to pass through Banu Tamim. And Banu Tamim were in the middle of a big fight. So Sujah, she did not want to get involved in this fight. She wanted just to pass through and go to Medina. She did not want to get involved in the civil war of Banu Tamim. So what she did is she sent a message to Malik ibn Nuwayra. Malik ibn Nuwayra, he was the head of the apostates of Banu Tamim. He was the leader of the apostates of Banu Tamim. And he and his army were fighting against the Muslims of Banu Tamim. So Sujah, this, this woman who falsely claimed prophethood, she sent a letter to Malik ibn Nuwayra, who was the head of the apostates of Banu Tamim. And she said, look, I want to just pass through. I don't want to get involved in your fight. I will not fight you and you do not fight me. So Malik, he agreed. He said, okay, I will not fight you. You don't fight me. But when you pass through Banu Tamim, I want your support to fight against the Muslims. I want you and your army to help me to fight against the Muslims of Banu Tamim. So she agreed. She said, okay, I will help you. But then you have to let me go and continue on my way to Al-Madinah. So the army of Sujah bint al-Harith and the army of Malik ibn Nuwayra, they faced the army of Zuburqan ibn Badr, who was the leader of the Muslims of Banu Tamim. Now, Zuburqan ibn Badr and the Muslims, they saw that they were vastly outnumbered now because now they have to fight against Malik ibn Nuwayra and his army from within Banu Tamim and also Sujah bint al-Harith and her army. So it's basically one army against two armies now. So the Muslims, they, they felt that they were overwhelmed and they would not be able to fight such a big force. So they retreated. They retreated. And once they retreated, Sujah, she continued upon her way to go towards Al-Madina until she reached a small village. And when she reached that village, there were actually some Muslims from Banu Tamim who were ready to attack her and her army when she reached that village. So the Muslims, they attacked her and they took prisoners from her army. And her army was also able to take prisoners from the Muslims. A battle went on in that small village and both sides took prisoners from the opposite side. So now the Muslims have prisoners from the army of Sujah 
and Sujah, she has prisoners from the army of Banu Tamim. So they started to negotiate with each other. Both armies, they decided to negotiate. They said, okay, you release our prisoners and we will release your prisoners. So they came to an agreement. They came to a mutual agreement and both sides released the other side's prisoners. Now Sujah, she's on her way to Medina, but she thinks to herself, she has second thoughts now. I just move forward and every time I move forward, another conflict arises. There's all fighting going all on all over the place. So she thinks, if I want to go all the way to Medina, Medina is still pretty far away. If I want to go to Medina, I'm going to have to go through many obstacles in order to get Medina. The path is not clear. So perhaps it's not a good idea to go all the way to Medina. So she thinks to herself and she said, okay, what's the next best target? Where I can get a lot of spoils and I can get a lot of wealth and I can get a lot of power. What is the next best target if I can't go to Medina? So she thinks I will go to Yamama. Yamama is where Banu Hanifa resided. And that is where Musaylima al-Kadhab was in power. So she thought to herself, if I take my army and I go and I, I fight Musaylima and I take Yamama, I will be able to get huge spoils and I will be able to get a lot of power. So she decides to divert. She says, I'm not going to Medina, Medina anymore. Now I'm going to go to Yamama. I'll fight Musaylima instead. So now Musaylima al-Kadhab this man who falsely claimed prophethood, even during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, while the Prophet ﷺ was still alive, Musaylima claimed that he was a prophet. Now after the passing away of the Prophet ﷺ, Musaylima's following becomes bigger. And it is said that he gained 100,000 followers. This false claimant to prophethood gained 100,000 followers. So you can see how powerful he had become after the passing away of the Prophet So Sujah bint al-Harith, she sets her sights on this now. To go to fight Musaylima and to take Yamama. So now Musaylima, he has a big problem. Even though he has a big army, now he has a big problem. Because now he has three armies after him. Banu Amir, they already had a problem with Muhanifa which was the tribe of Musaylima. So Banu Amir, they want to fight Musaylima. So that's one problem. Now Sujah bint al-Harith, she also wants to fight Musaylima. So that's two problems. Also Abu Bakr radiallahu an, out of those 11 armies that he had sent out, two of those armies were to go and fight Musaylima. And one army under the command of Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahl, and then a supporting army under the command of Shurahbil ibn Hasan. Because Musaylima's army was huge, Abu Bakr sent two armies to go and confront Musaylima. So now look at this. Musaylima has a big problem here. He has a number of a number of people, a number of armies ready to fight him. Banu Amir and Sujah bin Al-Harith and the armies of Abu Bakr going after him as well. So Musaylima has to deal with this now. Alright, now around the same time. Khalid ibn al-Walid and his army after defeating Tulayha ibn Khuwaylid, which we spoke about last week, after Khalid defeated Tulayha, now he headed towards Banu Tamim. Banu Tamim, where the civil war was going on. Now Khalid came to support the Muslims of Banu Tamim against the apostates of Banu Tamim. So when he reached Malik ibn Nuwayra, Malik ibn Nuwayra, who was the head of the apostates of Banu Tamim, he got scared when he saw Khalid and his army. And he told his people, look, 
we cannot fight Khalid. We cannot fight Khalid and his army, so let's retreat. So Malik tried to retreat with his army of apostates, but Khalid chased them. And he was able to capture many of them. He captured Malik ibn Nuwayra himself, and he captured uh, a number of prisoners from the apostates of Banu Tamim. And remember the rules of Abu Bakr was when you capture them, you give them a chance. Give them a chance to revert back to Islam. Give them a chance to revert back to Islam. But if they don't accept that and if they refuse to accept Islam, then you kill them. So Khalid ibn al-Walid, he didn't give these prisoners enough of a chance to come back to Islam. After he captured them, before they made a decision, before they could make a decision to come back to Islam, Khalid ibn al-Walid, he ordered for all of these prisoners to be executed. And this was actually against the instructions of Abu Bakr. He captured the prisoners and before, before they could come back to Islam, before they had a chance to come back to Islam, Khalid had all of them executed. So when this news came back to Abu Bakr and Umar in Medina, Umar was very angry. How did he kill them without giving them a chance to come back to Islam? And then Umar advised Abu Bakr that you should punish Khalid for this. You should punish Khalid for this. And Abu Bakr he said, no, I will not punish him. He made a mistake. He made ijtihad and he made a mistake. But it's not like he intentionally did something wrong. It was just a mistake. So then Umar said, okay, if you're not going to punish him, at least remove him from his post. Make him leave the rank that you have given him in the military. Remove him from his position as a general in the military. And Abu Bakr to this suggestion of Umar he said, Wallahi, I will not sheathe a sword that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has unsheathed on the kafirin. I will not put the sword back into its case when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who, who took that sword against the disbelievers. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu refused to remove Khalid ibn Walid from his post. Yes, it was a mistake, but Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu considered that that was just uh, an honest mistake by Khalid. He didn't, he didn't intend to do anything wrong, but he made a mistake and it did not warrant him being punished or being removed from his post. All right. So now, back to Musaylima al-Kadhab, the false claimant to prophethood who had gained a huge following in Yamama with his tribe, Banu Hanifa. If you remember in the seerah, we spoke a little bit about Musaylima al-Kadhab and how he had actually come to Medina and he said that he would become a Muslim if the Prophet wasallam would promise that Musaylima will become the leader of the Muslims after the Prophet passes away. And of course, the Prophet refused this. He said, no. And then the Prophet, the Prophet had a dream. The Prophet actually had a dream where he saw two gold bracelets. He was wearing two gold bracelets in this dream. And in his dream, he didn't like this. He didn't like that he's wearing two gold bracelets. So it was said to him in his dream, blow on the bracelets, blow on the bracelets. So the Prophet ﷺ blew on those, those two gold bracelets and they flew away. And then the Prophet ﷺ was asked about the interpretation of this dream. 
And he said, my interpretation of this dream is that there will be two liars who will come after me. There will be two liars who come after me. And these two liars turned out to be Al-Aswad Al-Unsi in Yemen, who falsely claimed to be a prophet in Yemen, and also Musaylima Al-Kazab, the false claimant to prophethood from Banu Hanifa. So this was the interpretation of the dream of the Prophet so of course, Musaylima, after the Prophet ﷺ rejected his offer, Musaylima, he returned to Yamama, he returned to his tribe, Banu Hanifa in Yamama, and he claimed prophethood. He claimed that he was a prophet of Allah. And some people followed him. He gained somewhat of a following even during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. But then after the passing away of the Prophet ﷺ, that is when Musaylima's following became huge. All right, during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, when Musaylima falsely claimed to be a prophet, he actually wrote a letter to the Prophet ﷺ. And we spoke about this in the seerah. When Musaylima wrote this letter to the Prophet ﷺ, and the text of this, this letter was, مِن مُسَيْلِمَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ إِلَى مُحَمَّدْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أَلَا إِنِّي أُوْتِيتُ الْأَمْرَ مَعَكْ فَلَكَ نِصْفُ الْأَرْضِ وَلِي نِصْفُهَا وَلَكِنَّ قُرَيْشًا قَوْمٌ يَظْلِمُونَ so he sent a letter to the Prophet ﷺ and he said in this letter, this letter is from Musaylima, the messenger of Allah, to Muhammad, the messenger of Allah. Surely I have been given this matter with you. Just like you are a prophet, I am also a prophet. So I have half of the earth and you have half of the earth. But the Quraysh are a people who are not fair. What is he actually saying here? He's saying that, I should have half of the earth and you should have half of the earth. But because you are from Quraysh, Quraysh are not fair, so you're going to take more than your portion. You're going to take more than half. So this is what Musaylima wrote to the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ replied this letter. He actually replied the letter. And he said, مِن مُحَمَّدْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ إِلَى مُسَيْلِمَةْ الْكَذَّابِ He said, from Muhammad, the messenger of Allah, to Musaylima, the liar. And this is how Musaylima got the name. Musaylima al-Kadhab. Now most people, if you mention Musaylima, they won't know his full name. Musaylima what? But he is known by everybody as Musaylima al-Kadhab. Musaylima the liar. The Prophet ﷺ is the one who gave him this name. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Muhammad Rasulullah ila Musaylima al-Kadhab. As-salamu ala manittaba' al-huda. Peace be upon those who follow the guidance. Amma ba'd fa'inna al-arda lillah. The Prophet ﷺ, sweet short reply. Peace be upon those who follow the guidance. As for what follows, surely the earth belongs to Allah. And He gives it to whomever He wants of His slaves. And the good end is for the muttaqeen, the people who have taqwa. Alright, so after the passing away of the Prophet ﷺ, Musaylima, his, his following increased. And it is said that he had 100,000 followers. 100,000 followers. Can you imagine that? Alright, so Abu Bakr, to face the threat of Musaylima, he sent not one but two armies to go and fight Musaylima. The first army he sent was under the command of Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahl. Ikrimah, the son of Abu Jahl. He was the commander of that contingent of the army. And he sent another army following the, the army of Ikrimah under Shurahbil ibn Hasan. And he told Ikrimah, he said, you go to Yamama, but don't initiate any attack on Musaylima until the support comes from Shurahbil. 
Because Abu Bakr knew that Musaylimah's army was big. So he told Ikrimah, go there and be ready to fight, but don't start the attack until the second army of Shurahbil comes as well, so you can go and fight together. So you'll have more support. So Ikrimah went, and Shurahbil was to follow soon after. But Ikrimah, he made a mistake. He did not follow the instruction of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. He was too excited to go and attack. So he did not wait for Shurahbil ibn Hassan. And he and his army, they attacked Musaylimah's army without having that support show up first. And they suffered heavy losses and they had to retreat. Ikrimah and his army had to retreat. And when Abu Bakr heard about this, he was very angry, of course, that Ikrimah didn't follow his instruction. He didn't wait for Shurahbil ibn Hassan. So now Abu Bakr, he sends a message to Khalid. Now Khalid, mashallah, he's getting the job done everywhere. He finished the matter of Tulayha. He finished the matter of Banu Tamim. Alhamdulillah, Khalid is taking care of business very efficiently. So now Abu Bakr sends a message to Khalid. Khalid, you go to Yamama too. You go to help Ikrima and Shurahbil to fight Musaylima al-Kadhab. So now Khalid and his army, they head towards Al-Yamama. So now you see here that there is a huge threat to Musaylima. From Banu Amir, who already wanted to fight them, right? And from Sujah, the false claimant to prophethood, the woman who falsely claimed prophethood, she wants to fight Musaylima as well. And now three Muslim armies from Abu Bakr ready to go and fight Musaylima. The army of Ikrima and the army of Shurahbil, and now the army of Khalid ibn al-Walid. So Musaylima now, he's, he's, in a, he's in a very bad situation. But still, Musaylima's army, number-wise, was very huge. He had about 100,000 people or more than 100,000 followers, and his army was at least 40,000 men strong. He had 40,000 men in his army alone. So he had huge numbers in his army. Now, before these three different factions could come and attack Musaylima, Musaylima wanted to minimize the threat. He has threats from three places now, from the armies of Abu Bakr that he had sent, and also from Banu Amr, and also from Sujah. So he didn't want to fight all three of these armies at the same time. That would be very difficult. So he wanted to neutralize what he could as quickly as possible. So what he decided to do, he sent a contingent to go and attack Banu Amr. Before Banu Amr could attack them, Musaylima wanted to attack Banu Amr so that at least one of those three threats will be out of the way. So he sent an army to go and attack Banu Amr. Now, as for Sujah, the woman who falsely claimed prophethood, she also wanted to attack Musaylima. Musaylima also wanted to neutralize that threat as well. So he tried to negotiate. He opened negotiations with this woman, with this woman who falsely claimed prophethood. Look at this. Two false prophets negotiating with each other, Musaylima and Sujah. So Musaylima, he says to Sujah, look, I don't want to fight you and I don't want you to fight me. Let's make a deal here. I will marry you. Why don't you marry me? Can you imagine this marriage between two false prophets? He says to her, you marry me and you can have half of the fruits of Yamama. Whatever crop we grow, half of the fruits, you can have it. And then you go home. He wanted to marry her, but he said, you take the fruits and you go home. 
go back to your people. So she accepted. She said, okay, half of the fruits of Yamama. Yamama is a huge, a huge land. And the fruits would be immense, of course. That's a big amount of wealth. So she thought, okay, this is a good deal. She would marry Musaylimah. She would take half the fruits and she would go back to her people. She thought, okay, this is a good deal. I accept it. And she married Musaylimah. She actually married Musaylimah. She, she accepted that deal and she went back. So, okay, so now that threat is over. Sujah is not a danger to Musaylimah anymore. And he's trying to neutralize the threat of Banu Amir as well by sending an army against them. So now the main battle is against the Muslims, the Muslim armies of Abu Bakr under Khalid and Ikrimah and Shurahbir. Now still, even though there were three armies, three Muslim armies against Musaylimah, Musaylimah's army still outnumbered the Muslim army. Khalid and Shurahbil and Ikrimah, they had about 12,000 people total in their army. And Musaylimah had 40,000 or more. All right, now when Khalid was on the way, when Khalid was on the way to Yamama, he came across the small army that Musaylimah had sent to Banu Amir. Musaylimah had sent an army to Banu Amir to neutralize that threat. And Khalid happened to intercept that army. So Khalid, he fought them and he was able to imprison them. He got all of them and he took them prisoner. So they were not able to go and finish the job with Banu Amir because Khalid, he intercepted them and he took them as prisoners. And he gave them a chance to accept Islam. See, he didn't repeat the same mistake again. The mistake that he made with the apostates of Banu Tamim, he did not make the same mistake with uh, these apostates from uh, Banu Hanifa, from Yamama. He gave them a chance to accept Islam. But these people, they refused to accept Islam. Even though he said, if you don't accept Islam, if you don't return back to Islam, I will execute you. Still, they refused. And they said, even though they knew, they knew in their hearts that Musaylimah was a liar. Any person with even a little bit aql, even with a small amount of intelligence in his brain, will know that Musaylimah is a kathab. Musaylimah is a liar. But these people out of their arrogance, even though they, they knew that the person they were following was a liar, and they knew the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, was truthful, what did they say to Khalid? They said, that the liar from Rabi'ah, Musaylimah, he's from Rabi'ah, the liar from Rabi'ah is more beloved to us than the truthful one from Mudar. The Prophet was from Mudar. Mudar is from Quraysh. So even though they knew Musaylimah was a liar and they knew that the Prophet Muhammad was truthful, they said the liar from Rabi'ah. Musaylimah is more beloved to us than the truthful one from Mudar, the Prophet Muhammad This is the arrogance that they had in their hearts. So when they refused to accept Islam, Khalid executed them one by one. He killed all of them. He killed all of them. But as he was killing them, they said to Khalid, they advised him, if you want good for Banu Hanifa or if you want bad for Banu Hanifa, whatever you want for the tribe of Banu Hanifa, that's the tribe of Musaylimah. Whatever you want for them, whether you want good for them or whether you want bad for them, you should keep this one guy alive. There was one man from the prisoners and they advised Khalid, just keep this guy alive. He may come to some use for you, whatever your intentions are. And this was a man named Muja'ah ibn Murara. So when they said this to Khalid that you don't keep this guy, he may come in handy to you, whatever you want. So 
Khalid, he said, okay, he's just one guy. I might as well keep him. Let's see what happens. So he did not execute this guy. Muja'ah ibn Murara. And you'll see that Muja'ah ibn Murara had an important role later on. And we'll get to that inshallah. So now Khalid is ready with his army to fight Musaylimah. And Ikrimah and his army are also ready. Shurahbil and his army are ready. And they're ready to, to fight the army of Musaylim al-Kazab, the big army of Musaylim al-Kazab. Now Musaylimah, he was not very experienced as a military commander. He did not know how to manage an army. So he put someone else who was more experienced in charge of the army as the commander, a man named Muhakkam ibn Tufail. So Muhakkam ibn Tufail was in charge of the army of Musaylimah. Musaylimah was there, but he was not in command. He was not in command of the army. He was just encouraging people. But he was not the commander of the army. Muhakkam ibn Tufail was put in charge of the army. And now the fighting begins. The Muslim army against the army of Musaylimah al-Kadhab. And this is a huge battle, a very intense battle with extreme fighting. And the Muslims who witnessed this battle, who were part of this battle, they said, Wallahi, in all of the battles that we have been in, we never saw a more intense battle than the battle of Yamama, the battle between the Muslims and the army of Musaylim al-Kadhab. That was the most intense battle that they had ever been in. The most extreme fighting took place in that battle. Now the Kuffar of Musaylimah's army, they were able in the beginning to advance very far. They actually reached all the way up to the tent of Khalid ibn al-Walid. They actually entered the tent of Khalid ibn al-Walid. And his wife was there. The wife of Khalid was there in the tent. And also the one prisoner that Khalid had taken. Remember Muja'ah ibn Murara, the one that they told him, they advised him to keep alive. He was there in the tent of Khalid as well, tied up. And the wife of Khalid was there. So they entered the tent of Khalid and they were ready to kill the wife of Khalid. They were ready to actually execute the wife of Khalid ibn al-Walid. But then Murara, uh, Muja'ah ibn Murara, he said, no, no, don't kill her. She was very nice to me. Like she was the one who was actually taking care of him and she was serving him and everything as a prisoner. She was making sure that he was taken care of. So out of appreciation for that Muja'ah, he said to those people, don't kill her. She was very kind to me. So they accepted that and they didn't kill her. And they were trying to untie Muja'ah to free him. But before they could untie him, the Muslims, they came in back to the tent. And those kuffar had to leave. They had to retreat. So this battle, it was intense and it kept going back and forth. The kuffar were able to reach far into the Muslim ranks, but then the Muslims were able to put on a counterattack and they were able to have uh, a great advance against the kuffar and it kept going back and forth. Sometimes it looked like the kuffar were moving forward. Sometimes it was the Muslims who were getting the upper hand. It kept going back and forth a number of times. Eventually, eventually, alhamdulillah, the Muslims were able to get the upper hand. And they were able to kill the commander of Musaylimah's army. Muhakkam ibn Tufail was killed. And also, the main minister of Musaylimah's government, a man named Nahar al-Rahal, he was also executed as well. So two of the main guys from Musaylimah's army, they're dead. The commander of the army, Muhakkam, 
and also the main minister of Musaylimah, Nahar al-Rahal. They're both dead. But the Muslims also suffered a lot of, a lot of heavy casualties. And in that battle, in the battle of Yamama, 500 of the Huffaz of the Quran were killed. 500 of the companions who had memorized the Quran, they were killed in that one battle. And that is why after that battle, Abu Bakr عنه, decided to gather the Quran into a Mus'haf. Up to that time, it was not gathered into a Mus'haf. But because of the loss of so many of the memorizers of the Quran in that one battle, Abu Bakr عنه, decided that this is something that we need to do. We need to collect the Quran in one book form. So 500 of the Hufaz were martyred in that battle alone. But Alhamdulillah, the Muslims were still having the upper hand and they killed the commander of Musaylimah's army, Muhakkam, and they killed Nahar al-Rahal. So when Musaylimah saw that his commander is dead, the commander of his army is dead. So now the army, they don't know what to do. And also his main minister, Nahar al-Rahal, is dead. So now Musaylimah calls out to his army. He says, Alaykum bil we need to retreat to the Hadiqa. The Hadiqa, it was a big garden outside of the fortresses of Yamama. Musaylimah, he had a big castle which was situated inside a big garden. And that was actually outside of the fortresses of Yamama, a little bit outside. So he ordered his army to retreat to that garden. Let's go to the garden and, you know, we can, we can get inside the castle. We can... We can lock ourselves up in the castle. So they retreated to the Hadiqa. They retreated to that garden. And later on, that garden became known as Hadiqatul Maut, the garden of death, because of what happened there after Musaylimah's army went to that garden. It became known as Hadiqatul Maut. And you can imagine why it became known as Hadiqatul Maut, the garden of death, what happened over there. So they retreated to that garden. And now, the Muslims, under the command of Khalid ibn Walid, they follow them, they chase them. And Musaylimah and his army, they get into that garden which is surrounded by gates and they go inside the castle. They go inside the castle which is inside the garden. And the Muslims, they follow them and they surround the garden. They surround the garden. And now there is a siege. And inshallah, we'll speak about what happens in that siege and how the Muslims move forward in the Battle of Yamama. We'll speak about that in the next session, bi-idhnillah. Wallahu alam, sallallahu wa sallam, wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.